0: Today's episode of the podcast really is a story about the circle of life. Through very serendipitous and beautifully strange circumstances, in the past week, within the span of just a couple of days, I got to be present for a birth and I got to be present for a death. And I can honestly say that the events of this past week have changed me deeply. I am bursting with insight and I'm also having a hard time really putting into words what I've witnessed and been through in the past week. But life right now feels both painful and nothing short of miraculous. So I'm excited that you're here and that I get to tell this story. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skin and body care at Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Let's dive in. All right, my friends. Hello, hello. How are you? Welcome back to the show. I am really giving the title of this podcast a run for its money. I feel Um, these past couple of weeks. um, I'm, I'm definitely sitting here speaking from the heart in the most vulnerable, intimate way because I don't know any other way to be, especially right now. And I'm going to do my very best today to not be a sniffling, slobbering mess, but I can't make any promises, (laughs) as usual. Today, as I am recording this, I actually feel quite light um, in a way. Um, The sun is shining right now. I'm sitting in my bedroom it's actually really warm in here. We have big windows covering a whole a whole wall of our bedroom and it's, uh, I feel like I stepped into a different climate zone just sitting here. This whole past week, the sun has been shining every single day, blue skies. And we've had that kind of weather here where I am in Sweden where It's like late, late winter kind of bordering on early spring. We actually have something called the spring winter or the winter spring, which is that transitional phase when winter is about to end and you're getting the first taste of spring, but spring isn't quite here yet. And you don't know if you can trust, trust the sunshine really. And it's just a really, it's like there's a special light outside. There's a special magic in the air. Um, the birds are going wild. I mean, literally, I wake up every morning, they wake me up, they are so loud outside in the trees. And it's just a, yeah, nature is really putting on a show for us, which is magical. And um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that there's so much beauty all all around us. We have had some very, very difficult and heavy days. And Strangely, or maybe not so strangely, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but I, in the past couple of days, really have been some of the most beautiful and earth-shattering and gut-wrenching of my life, but in a way that feels manageable. Uh, I, I don't know how else to explain it. I have experienced a lot of death in my life, and I definitely have had a lot of experience of death feeling unmanageable, of feeling like I'm spinning off into into space, like I can't handle it. And this experience this week has been very different. I feel very grounded. My feet are on the earth. There's a steadiness as I'm navigating um, navigating these days. And strangely, or magically, or <laughs> it feels very serendipitous and meant to be, in the past few days, I mean, in the span of four days, I got to experience a birth, <laughs> and that saying that out loud brings tears to my eyes because it was so powerful, and so beautiful, and so special, and um, and I got to experience a death. <laughs> It's actually it's not the first time in my life that I have had the intricacies and kind of the the polarities of birth and death feel very intertwined and very connected. but it's the first time I've had these two experiences so experiences so very literal in my face happening and unfolding at the same time. And um, I don't know if I'm this if I'm quite the same <laughs> to to be to be honest uh, or I feel like, I feel like I'm sitting in ceremony right, right now and it's, and it's still ongoing. Yeah. I'm having this very, it's almost like an out of body experience. Although I feel very, very, very grounded moving through birth and death at the same time. It's just, it's just, it's something. So, uh, Yes, of course. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the story. If you were here last week, I shared the news that we came to the conclusion finally after after a lot of back and forth and a lot of time, especially the past six months, um, that we had to put our beloved dog Leica down. I don't like that term, putting a dog down, like putting someone down that is not embody that does not represent what it means um, i found out this week that the word euthanasia actually means good death it's derived from words that mean good death and i found that so beautiful and someone wrote me like it's called euthana- euthanasia because it's a it's a good death it's a kindness and it's an impossible decision to make, it's so hard and so challenging. And it's such a massive responsibility to be in charge of someone's life. And how can you really know that you're doing the right thing? How can you really know that the time is now? Like it's, it's a lot to be a, to be a human with that kind of responsibility. Although, like I said last week, it's like the moment we decide that we are bringing a dog or a cat or a pet into our family, we also know that we are responsible for them until the very end. And that includes that last time and that last decision. Not always, but often. And this person wrote me, it means good death because it's a kindness. And it's like the last, the last selfless act of love that we give our animals is to is to be in tune with them and be present with them and and know when the time is now. And I was really struggling in the past week. Um, she was in a lot of pain. I, I shared last week. So she she slipped and fell and dislocated her hip. And um, yeah, really, I, I, we were out of options. But in, in a way, like we were talking about that, we could have dragged her along. We could have dragged her along for a long time. I don't think she she was such a fighting spirit. I don't think she would have ever laid down and died you know I don't think she would have ever laid down and given up we could have dragged her along in pain um and it's such a philosophical thing you know (laughs) like is it is it a kindness is it the time what if it's not what if she has what if she has one more good day you know in her it's it's so anyone who's who's ever had to yeah make this decision at the very end of a loved one's or of a a pet's life knows the, the agony of making this decision, this, this decision, because for us, even though it was very, very clear, I mean, it was very clear. Um, and she, she was in so much pain in the end and she was on absolutely max amount of pain medication. We couldn't go up from there without hurting her and without risking her life literally, so it, it was very obvious, like, this is it, this is the time. And we had those, what was it, three days, I guess, th- from Thursday, Thursday, yeah, Thursday, we, we were at the vet. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we had three days there um, before the vet came on Monday morning where we knew, okay, well, we've made the decision and the time is now, And but we were still kind of waiting for her to tell us otherwise, you know, like, what if she gets better? What if all of a sudden, like her, yeah, what if her hip heals? What if somewhere there's a magical surgery we can perform, which we already asked two vets about, and the answer was, no, she's too old. It's too severe. And even so, um, it wasn't the only part of her body with pain. It wasn't just the hip. It wasn't like she was doing fantastic and great and healthy and thriving and then she dislocated her hip if that was the case we we would have had options but the thing that she was struggling with for years and particularly the past six months is severe just really severe arthritis in her spine and that pain we we can't take away you know we can't can't surgically fix that and um of course, I was sharing just a little bit on social media, the way I share a lot a lot of my life on social media, just kind of what's happening in our day-to-day, and immediately had some really challenging comments, um, everything from people like, well, just get her some wheels, like just get the dog some wheels, like dogs can live with two legs, dogs can live without their back, you know, <laughs> without their back legs, and And I get that kind of sentiment, like there must be a way, right? Because that's how, that's how we feel about about our animals. But there was no way. And for us, it was not just a question of like, can she live? But like, what kind of life, you know, at what point are you just dragging that animal along in pain? And, um, yeah, and I, I also had a, I don't know, just a, And this is something normally I wouldn't even share it. I wouldn't make a thing of it. But as I'm sitting there in her last days, kind of, I was in so much agony feeling like, what if, what if, what if there's a chance? What if there's a chance? And even though we were very anchored in our decision and, you know, we had several vets tell us that, no, you know, this is her time. Like, really, she is in too much pain. She's 14 and a half this is not one of those things that we can fix. I'm still sitting there feeling so torn because it's still a decision I'm, I have to make. And then someone wrote me like, oh, you're just, you know, imagine if she was a human and she hurt her hip and you're just going to put a bullet in her head. Like you're just killing your dog for no reason. And then I had shared like a little snippet of us doing something else because of course in the three day span that we're just living, right? Like waiting for the vet to come Monday morning, like we're living. We have a daughter. It's not like we're sitting on the couch with the drapes drawn in a dark cave, not eating or talking or moving, you know, like we're still like trying to to get through the day, you know? trying to trying to find some kind of normalcy, especially for, for Leia's sake. And we were home. We spent these three days just home baking and cooking and cleaning and just loving on her and feeding her every imaginable food that she's ever loved and wanted to have. But I wouldn't give her too much of because I don't want her stomach to go well. I mean, she had... She had so much food in the past days and so much snuggles, but also we couldn't snuggle her too intense because she was in so much pain. It really was like we, we could pet her head and kind of the the top of her body, but her hip, her spine, her back legs, it was just like we couldn't even go there. You know, it, it really was so, and, and every day you could tell it's like, it's not, it's getting worse and worse. And I shared a little snippet of us, Leah and me, we were making candles. I got some beeswax and we were just dipping candles in the kitchen, just something to do. And then that person wrote like, oh, so this is like, you're having a lot of fun before you're killing your dog or like, I don't know. It's just like a vicious, really mean, really unnecessary comment from a person who knows nothing doesn't know anything really that's what so much of social media is is people just having really big and loud opinions about people's lives that they know nothing about absolutely nothing and because I was feeling so vulnerable and because I'm sitting there feeling you know even if there's a one percent part of me that feels unsure that one percent is really loud and really scary what if it's the wrong decision what if what if the vets are wrong what if there's a third fourth vet? that can tell us differently, like what if, what if, and I was just so, yeah, it broke me a little bit, it made just that, yeah, that one day was just very hard to navigate and I realized I'm going to have to just, I need to put this phone away, I need to just be here and be totally, totally, totally present now and give her as, as beautiful of a last time that, that we can. And as we are, as we were in this space, you know, just, yeah, and and it's kind of like we were, we opened the door toward death. You know, we made the decision, the vet is coming, talking to Leia about it, which I really want to share how we went through that process because I feel like it, it was really helpful how we, how we did it. So I'll, I'll get into that in a moment but as we were kind of yeah just just navigating this my my best friend calls she's in labor and she wants me to come over <laughs> she wants me there olivia she's been on the show many times many of you know her so she's married to Dennis's best friend and they really are yeah our closest friends in this world and uh yeah we've been pregnant at the same time for the second time so they have a son three months younger than leia he's a gemini leia's a pisces now they were having a pisces we're having a gemini like it's very reversed and, and beautiful i had just seen her the day before we went just for a yeah just for a cup of tea and a little walk and wondering when when is this baby coming you know is it going to be cuz she ha- she's had her two prior babies a little bit before the due date i think the first one was a week early and then the second one second one was a couple days so we we kind of knew it's it's going to be sometime soon but of course a due date is just a it's just a wild guess that doesn't really mean anything And then she called and like, okay, it's time, come, let's go. (laughs) And, um, she had said already throughout the pregnancy that she really wanted me to be there and that she had a feeling that she wanted more of a community feeling for this birth. It's our third, second home birth. She's very just secure and safe and confident in her body and felt really good throughout the pregnancy. And, you know, and, uh, I just, threw myself in the car (laughs) and went. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. Doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Of course, you know, being invited to attend something as sacred and as intimate as, as the birth of a child just her wanting me there was enough <laughs> for me to just cry the whole way there in the car, you know. And um, I'm not going to tell the whole in-depth st- birth story. I know she she's really excited to come on the podcast and we'll we'll do a podcast episode as soon as she's out of the first, you know, postpartum kind of bubble. Um, she'll come on the show and we'll do... <laughs> We'll get into the details of this birth, but I'll, without sharing too much, I'll just like I'll just say being in the in the presence of her birthing this baby felt like sitting at the feet of a guru. It really was, it really was one of the most remarkable, peaceful, quiet, I didn't know what to expect because I've never attended a birth in my life aside from the birth of my own baby, my own, you know. Um, and I just, just walking in there, she was in the bathroom, just her and her husband. The bath was just, this, like, it was just candle lit, no lights on. She's in the bath, her husband by her side. And it was so quiet. I almost had that feeling like I just, like, I know she asked me to be here, but I think I'm just going to like back away and close the door. I don't want to disturb. I don't want to disturb this moment. I don't want to disturb this goddess just primally letting her body do what her body does. Like it was so, you could touch the energy in the air. It was so, it was so beautiful. It truly was. And for most of the birth, that was what it was. Like taking really deep breaths with her, ask contractions and waves came and went and just this deep profound grounded presence and it intensified of course the way labor does and in the end got very fiery <laughs> and amazing and, and, and also hard of course it's not like it's not like she was having a spa day there <laughs> but so peaceful oh my goodness so peaceful And, um, he was born, we sat on the floor in the bathroom eating ramen noodles, (laughs) which is one of her, one of her goal images is just like having her baby on her chest, eating ramen. Like that's what she wanted so badly. We're sitting there (laughs) just, you know, placenta and cord still intact candles still fluttering you know her son kind of flowing in and out of the space and just sitting there in silence like eating soup (laughs) is one of the one of the peak moments of my life I I have to say truly truly have to say and um, I'm gonna have her on the show and we'll we'll really tell the story I'm really excited about that Um, she's been on the show a bunch of times you know she's She's, it's always a really great, great conversation when she, when she comes on. But I drove away from there later in the evening, just driving home. We're almost an hour away. And I'm just in the in the car on the highway <laughs> in the dark, having witnessed, having been a part of this I, it it felt like a psychedelic experience. It honestly felt like, like, I don't know how to describe it. And I don't think every birth is like this. Every birth is unique. Every birth is so beautiful and special in its own way. There's no birth better than the other, you know, I, I don't have any, uh, any longing to label, like if you birth at home, you're doing something that's better than if you don't know, like we're all birthing the way we birth and where we want to birth or it unfolds the way it unfolds. Like we have actually very little control right in the end. But this, I was trying to explain to another one of our friends, like how, how Olivia births her babies. Like I, there's something, there's something about that. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm miles away. I really feel like I I learned there. I was this I was an apprentice, like a student at her feet. Just whoa, and what she taught me, what I learned being there wasn't. It was cellular, and I was sitting there in the car on the way home, just like trying to process this massive thing. And all these cars are just passing me and they're, people are driving home from work. And I'm like, these people are just like going about their day. They don't even know that women birth babies every day. And it's a fucking miracle. It's a fucking, it's, 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 it's a communion with God. It's, it's an everyday. And I was just sitting there feeling like I was an alien on the planet having had this major realization of just oh just oh my god and and nobody nobody knows like nobody cares we're talking about especially in Sweden now there's a lot of conversations about maternity care and about just the healthcare system when it comes to to birthing mothers being really broken and midwives are quitting on masse because they don't like the circumstances of what they're doing at the hospital it's just there's, a, there's like a crisis happening in Sweden around birth and I'm like and they're talking about that every day you can see a new article or a new debate or a new thing but everybody's is kind of missing it like everyone is missing somehow the, the fact that this is that this is God this is church this is unexplainable with human language like this, I, I I, see, I'm, I'm, I'm a podcaster. This is what I do. Explaining shit (laughs) and storytelling is what I do. I can't, I can't, I can't put this into words. Maybe I will eventually, but I, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, I'm driving home just like my jaw on the floor, (laughs) full of adrenaline like i'm high and i'm also just i know i'm i'm going to collapse i'm going to i've been so present so kind of at the peak of of every emotion just being this like objective silent you know person present there cuz this was in my <laughs> i didn't birth that baby right and and there's something about that that <laughs> when olivia texted me later in the night she was like hey what happened today? <laughs> like, I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta take a beat. And then like I need to share from my point of view, which of course is very different from her experience. And I'm just there a couple of inches away from her, you know, but it's like whoa, 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 what primal, ancestral, holy thing <laughs> just unfolded, you know. <laughs> And I get home and I couldn't, like, you know, of course, Dennis is really, I mean, we're about to have a baby. We've only had one experience. Like, these are his best friends. Like, what? How was it? And, and I'm like, I don't know how to explain it to you. <laughs> I don't have the words for this other than women are incredible. Like women are, oh, I'm at the feet of every woman. I'm, uh, And I also feel a great deal, somehow more awe and more respect for myself in a way. Like I did that and I haven't been able to objectively fully grasp my own labor. I'm still in this pregnancy processing a lot of it. And I just feel like I feel such respect. And of course we all know that we know birth is incredible. Pregnancy is incredible. Labor, like birthing a child bringing a child into this world is a miracle like we know that but I knew it in my head you know I knew it in my head and now it's like I know it now with my body like I know it now <laughs> in in my cells like that was yeah <laughs> so um and then of course coming home um to Leica on the couch and this is what day was this this was saturday friday see i don't even know <laughs> yeah we took like it to the vet on thursday i think friday olivia went into labor um so friday night i'm home so we had saturday and sunday kind of the last last days and those days Leica went from still like she want, wanted to walk she still wants to walk completely and uh and we were carrying her down the stairs. We have these two steps from our house down to the to the lawn, and we're just very gently picking her up, knowing like every time you touch her, you're just it just hurts. And uh, and I'm thinking, okay, well she's just gonna like take one step and pee, and then want to go in the house. But no, not this dog. <laughs> right. So we like carry her gently down the stairs, and her ears go straight up. And she spots something, or maybe not. Like just her favorite thing is to just run around the property, barking out, barking toward the forest. I don't know if it's imaginary enemies she's barking at, or if she's just announcing her presence to the world or just like protecting us. She's just very loud and very big in her in her energy. and she and she just bolts. And I'm like, she must be in so much pain. Like she's, she would stop, right, if it's too much. And her tail is standing straight up, and she's just like limp running, like kind, of, kind of limping but running. And I'm like, like a stop, slow down, slow down. Oh my god, oh my god, we have to carry her back into the house. And then it's just like, listen, like she's an animal. Does she has 48 hours to live if she wants to run? Should not we let her? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we trust in her and just take her lead? for these last two days like if she wants to eat something let her eat it if she doesn't want to do something like she doesn't have to if she wants to run she wants to bark at everything like just let's go yeah yeah so that's how we approached her last two days It's like whatever she wanted we did and then just getting very very present with her in the final in the final days just taking her cues and taking her lead and and um we were thinking, because back in the day, she used to sleep in our bed, and then the bed got really crowded <laughs> with babies and and dogs. And then when she started getting arthritis really bad, she still wanted to come on the bed. But every time someone moved, she would growl a little bit. I think she was just nervous someone would kick her. And we realized, okay, well, it's not sustainable. It's not good for her to be in the bed. So then her and Keela have been sleeping downstairs since we moved here. And... Um, and Dennis just said, "Like I, I think I, I think I want to, I want to, I won't want her in bed with me for the last nights." So he took all dogs and slept in bed with all the dogs, which ended up being just her on the bed. She didn't let any other dog come on the bed, and I think she was just so blissfully happy. We used to always joke, like, like us. I mean, she's so in love with Dennis, of course. Like Dennis is, is but in the, in almost like a romantic way. I don't know. We used to always joke that. Like as just waiting for me to disappear so she can run off into the sunset with Dennis and like live happily ever after the two of them. Like she was so, she had a very feminine, girly quality to her being, even though she was also completely alpha, which for me, she was kind of the embodiment of the fact that being feminine doesn't mean you're not alpha. You know, it's leadership is not a masculine trait definitely wasn't in her. She had this matriarchal power to her. And um, sleeping in bed with Dennis for the last two days, I think was really, really special. And um, eating a lot of meat, we just brought her steaks and sausage and liver pate and just whatever she wanted to eat. Like we would have something on a plate and just like, she wants it. Okay, she gets it. You know, she just... Yeah, got to really fully indulge in her last days. And then the whole time, you know, navigating this with Leia, which I didn't know how it would really go. This, her one experience with death so far, I mean, she has two. One has been more direct. The first one is is, so my best friend who passed away before she was born, right before Dennis and I got married, And she has just always been very present in our family, Andrea. She's, I mean, she was 24 years old. She died in a car accident. It was very traumatic. changed my life. We just talk about her a lot. And she is the aunt that Leia didn't get to meet, you know. She is like the sole sister of mine that Leia, uh, that I believe Leia met in that kind of Transitional thin space between birth and death. I had huge experiences with her when I was 40 million weeks pregnant. Really big dreams and vivid experiences of, of Leah and, and Andrea meeting, um, of wherever, kind of, whatever that space is before birth and after that death, like somehow it's connected. And that veil is very thin. So we've always talked about Andrea a lot, and Leia has always just on her own. She's had this big relationship with her, and there's other people that that were very, very important to both me and Dennis who passed away before Leia was born, and that she never talks about. You know, I have two grandmothers, um, both on my mom's side. My mom had a stepmom who was as as much of a mother to her as her biological mother, my my grandma that passed away. She, she never talks about them the same. Um, Pepper, our first dog that we had together, passed away. We talk about him a lot. She doesn't talk about him as much. Just, it, it's different. I don't know. She loves to draw pictures of Andrea. And Andrea has also been, I think for her, the symbol of someone dying who wasn't supposed to die. Because that's always, like we, we've talked a lot about what's the difference between dying when you're very old at the end of your life or dying because you're very sick or all of a sudden, you know, sometimes people just die. Like it's a very hard conversation, I think, to navigate with a young child. It's, it's easier to explain at the end of our lives, right? When we get very old, at the end of everything, then someone dies. But like Andrea was 24 years old. And it wasn't, it wasn't expected. And it was in a car accident, which is like we drive a car every day. I just think that hearing about that made a really big imprint in her. And sometimes I can, I mean, throughout the years, it happens. Not, ev- not every week or every day or anything like that. But frequently, she'll be really sad. Something happens. And I say, oh, what's going on? You know, how are you doing? What are you thinking about? Just, I miss Andrea. I really miss her. I wish she was here. And I believe that there is a bond there. You can just, you can just tell. So anyway, so that's her kind of, yeah, experience of death. And then in addition to that, this summer when my brother's dog died, and my brother's dog was for my brother, it was as close as. And I know people, people say this kind of flippantly, which I don't want to do. That losing an, an animal, it could can be like losing a child. I don't think you should compare deaths or put them against each other like that. Like what is worse? But for for my brother, losing Hammer is as close to losing the biggest thing in your life that you can possibly come. Absolutely. So it was a huge thing. And she knew Hammer very well. He was always at our house. Of course he's very close with Ludwig. And then we've been talking about that, you know, like, yeah, it's time, for him, it's time for him to die. It's going to happen on this day. She was sad, but she also shrugged it off very fast. She moved on really quickly. And then in September, which was really close, Hammer died in August. And in September, um, Lyca's pain got much worse. She had a seizure and we had a vet tell us that she needs to be put down. So she had had a seizure when we were out for a walk. And the vets then at the emergency vet, thats very good university, big clinic, they wanted to put her down right away and said she might never walk again. She is in a severe amount of pain. She's so old. They were really convinced that this was it for her. And we didn't believe it because it was really like she was... (sighs) No, it just it wasn't it wasn't right. It wasn't her time. So we got her on this very serious pain medication, this this regimen. and she started getting uh, shots for her arthritis, and we changed some things in her diet. Like we just put her on a program like, no, she's gonna get better. Like she will walk again. And she did. And a few weeks later, she's running and roaming. And doesn't seem to be in pain anymore in that same way at all. And just as, yeah, it felt like she was thriving again. But from that moment on, we started talking to Leia that it's going to happen. And we've always had those conversations eventually at the end of the dog's life, which could be soon. It could be feelings, you know, long way from now. It's really hard to explain to a young child, like, what does time mean? You know, like Leia doesn't understand, like this year, she has no concept fully of what does it mean this year? Like what is what is not this year and what is this year, you know? So we just started talking about it and then explaining really in depth and in detail and what will happen when it happens and how it will work and why it happens in this way for pets when you have a dog at home and, and just having those conversations with her kind of regularly. And in the beginning, I mean, she... I can laugh at this now but then like when she came home from the vet and Leia walked up to her when she was lying in bed she says hi Leica are you a good girl are you gonna die soon oh yes you are you're such a good girl it's gonna be okay and Dennis and I are just looking at each other like oh my god (laughs) like this this child like she she thinks she understands what death means but she she's she's five I mean she doesn't like how how can she know really (laughs) so for her it was more like it's an experience something's gonna happen but she yeah yeah she would be sad about it but she would yeah she would then do things like that like talk to her in that way which is just okay not at all this heartbreaking scary thing right which is it which it is for us So she's had essentially six months of preparation knowing that Leica is going to die. And that part, having her prepared, not having it be a non-conversation, something we never talk about. And then all of a sudden she has to go to the vet and she has to be put down or all of a sudden, you know, she has a seizure and it's now, like, I think if that was the case, it would have been a completely different thing to navigate as parents with her. So... What I really recommend, because I got a lot of questions from, from people asking, like how, how did you navigate it? How, how can you make it as easy as possible? It's just to talk about death more. And I think the fact that we talk about death as normally and as normalized as we talk about birth, death is not a taboo, scary topic in our house and we can talk about death and introduce the topic of death in so many different ways because essentially everything dies, right? And we talk a lot about it also in the concept of gardening and nature and the seasons and the cycles and you know that I think that's also very helpful the fact that she understands the cycle of a plant life and the cycles of the seasons and how, you know, she understands what it's like to plant a seed And then watch that seed become and sprout and become a seedling and then grow into a plant that she can harvest vegetables from. And then at the end of that season, that very same plant will wilt and die and become mulch, become one with the soil again. And then being in the season where everything kind of looks like it's dead and kind of, you know, to then start the cycle of birth back up again. There is an integration, I think, of that of that birth and death and life and death cycle that happens easier for kids who are very in tune with nature and with the cycles of nature, because death is everywhere. And since she was little, whenever we came across a dead animal, if we found a dead bird, that's happened many times, and we found a dead mouse once, just they had lizards, things like that. We would instead of like ew or gross or bad or oh don't don't look at that or you know we would approach it like she would always be naturally curious like oh what do you think happened and oh and and we would have little burials and little ceremonies. We've had many bird burials, (laughs) many where we you know gather flowers or you know bring an animal to the soil and we have a little moment and say something and. So I think that part, just having death be as normalized as possible is really helpful. And you can't start doing that the moment someone dies, right? I mean, you can because you have no choice then. But I think it's very helpful to have those conversations before because the only thing you know for sure is eventually your child is going to encounter death, eventually. And you can't control it, you know, and hopefully, ideally, it's in manageable ways, and sometimes it's unmanageable. Right? Like I think about I thought about that this week a lot. Like when when our first dog died, who died after my best friend had just passed and my grandmother had just passed, and then he died and it was just I was in a very shaky place, not grounded at all, feeling completely unsteady and was essentially healing from trauma that whole year. And then Pepper died. It's kind of like the cherry on top of this horrible, horrible time. If I was a mother then, you know, like, how would I have dealt with that? Because of course, we can't, we can control these things. We can only do the best we can. I think about my mother who lost the love of her life when I was Leia's age, who died completely unexpectedly no one knew what was going to happen, no warning, no preparation. They were newly engaged, about to get married, had just signed the paper on the house, you know, go from peak happiness with the love of your life, with your fiance, to all of a sudden he dies in a plane crash, boom, you know, from, <laughs> from one thing to a different life. And that shit happens all the time, it happens every day. We have no control. We have no control of who lives or dies. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. So I was thinking about that this week, you know, how would I have navigated that if I had Leia when we lost pepper, when we lost Andrea, when we lost my grandmother, when we like all those losses, um, I have no idea I would have done my best. Because that's all we can do, right? So if I think if we happen to be in a place where we are not navigating trauma, where we are not overwhelmed, where we are not unsupported and alone, the way it was for my mom, she was totally alone, she was totally unsupported, she was not in a safe place, it was the worst trauma anyone can ever imagine, and there was no support. And... She did the best she could with what she had, which for me as a five-year-old wasn't enough, right? I mean, I I, I felt for me it was losing two parents then. And it's this, and for me became this trauma that I, I will heal from for the rest of my life, right? It, it will always be this big thing, this life before that, and then her suicide attempts and everything after that. I mean, it was, life would never be the same, right? And you can't put any blame there. Absolutely impossible. Like 100% (laughs) 100 impossible because there is no other option than moving through that time the way we moved through that time, right? Those were the the tools that were were available. So if we happen to be in a more privileged place or in a more lucky place, because I think at the end of the day, so much of it is also pure luck, right? Where death comes our way and we are steady, and we have tools and we have support and we feel safe. And maybe it's a death that's easier to navigate like a dog at the end of her life, right? That is a death that's easier to explain and easier to navigate than a best friend or a dad, all of a sudden, boom, gone. I think it's it's really important that we take those experiences and we, we use them to get really present with what is happening. Because I know the reason she was able to move through this experience the way she did is because I'm steady. If I was terrified, if I was losing it, it would be totally different for her, right? She feels safe because I feel safe. And you can't create those circumstances, right? They're either there or they're not. And I just feel really grateful that we've been able to talk about death the way we have up until this point, knowing that Inevitably, if one of those big T traumas were to come her way, she's more prepared, right? She's—we've had these conversations. She knows that people die, dogs die, death is is real, and um, it's not taboo. It doesn't have to be scary. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. So this whole last weekend—I mean, this, these last days. She has been remarkably calm. And this is a dog. She has never had a day of her life without this dog. Dennis and I have never had a relationship without this dog. He had Leica before we met. So we are also, I mean, our whole family is navigating a new dynamic. We are. Now, it's not a, a, a fiancé or a stepdad or a best friend or it's a dog. Of course, it's different because it's a dog. But a dog is a dog right? A dog is family. A dog is everyone here listening. You know, you know. And Leia has been just asking a lot of questions and I've answered them all. Every time the topic of death would come back up, which is several times a day, of course. Um, And a question came, I would drop whatever I was doing and go sit with her and really be with her. And have the conversation she wanted to have and answer the questions she, she's been as- asking. And just, I, I, I don't know. I, I also felt like doing that was also really helpful for me somehow, because it's easy as an adult to go, well, I'll think about that later. I'll compartmentalize this experience and just like put it away, turn on Netflix and like think of something else. And now we didn't have those last days. We really, it was like we were sitting vigil before death together. I also got her a book. Um, she got this book, I think it was, yeah, a few months ago. and it was a book I found at the vet about saying goodbye to a dog. And it's just a story. it's very simple. It's just a story about a girl who's losing her dog. and the girl happens to be six years old or five, five or six years old in the book. and it kind of tells a little more in depth how the process of the euthanasia actually works in that language that's very digestible. And um and I know there's a lot of books about grief for kids and I super recommend just having some on hand. Like there's nothing wrong with having that in your like in your little rotation of books that you read before bed like story time having a few of those books touch on topics like death or illness or things that we prefer not to talk about. But the more we talk about them, the easier they are to manage and to experience and to live through, right? So she has a couple, she has one called Muffin. I forget the name of this book. It's a very sweet one. It's about, are they guinea pigs? (laughs) Okay, I have to look it up. Maybe I can add it to the show notes. And then the one that she was reading now that we were reading now is one in Swedish. Uh, and it's about if there are sausages in heaven. And this girl is feeding her dogs pieces of sausage as, as they're putting the dog down. But there is lots of them. I mean, I'm sure you can find blogs with, you know, books and books on end. And so the day came, right? Monday morning, Leia's home from school. And uh, we did have a moment. I think yeah right before in the very beginning like ooh I should Leia be there. It is a big thing like watching your animal die, being a part of the actual process because another option would have been having the moment, saying goodbye and then her and I taking a walk or her and I going upstairs or you know, just kind of separating a little bit from the actual moment, but the more the week, the weekend kind of progressed, the clearer it became that The easiest way for her to move through this is to make sense of it. And the easiest way for her to make sense of it is to be there. And she really wanted to be there. And she kept saying, I want to be there when he gives her the shot. I want to be there. I want to see what happens when her heart stops. I want to listen. I want to hear. I want to know. Like for her, it was also anatomically making sense of it. You know, what happens when our heart stops? Like in the whole rest of the body, and then will she be able to open her eyes then or no and then it was it became very i could tell just the more she could make sense of it logically and understand it the easier it became to make sense of it emotionally too so we decided okay it, it felt really calm and grounded and safe and yeah we'll we'll be here all together and i told her if there's any moment where you feel scared where you don't want to be there anymore all of a sudden, where you change your mind, you just tell me and we go outside. Like we're just, I'm here with you the whole time. Like I'm going to be here with you the whole, whole, whole time. And um, and then in the morning, the vet was coming at 9.30. We took a little walk. And also because, you know, children are the way children are, we also talked about like we don't have to be sad all the time. I don't want her thinking that just because someone's dying because something sad is happening or because other people are sad that we should feel guilty when happiness arrives, right? That we have to put a damper on excitement, that we have to like anchor ourselves in the horribleness of the horrible all the time, which I think is something that a lot of us grownups feel as we navigate grief and death. Like we, we catch ourselves forgetting about it for a moment. And then we laugh at something or we smile at something. I've had that experience with every loss I've ever moved through. All of a sudden, I have a brief moment of forgetting, which is, of course, natural, human, normal, how the human like brain works. Or I would laugh at something or I would smile at something and then guilt, right? Immediate guilt. How, how can I sit here smiling at this thing or how could I forget? Even if it's a five-second moment that you get a relief or a break from the waves of grief, it would come with guilt, immediate guilt. Oh, God, what a terrible, terrible person I am. That, of course, is so, so wrong, right? Grief comes in waves, I think, similarly to how contractions come in waves as we are giving birth because we need a break, we need the space in between. It's like that's the time where we get to put our feet back on the earth and gather our strength and like, remember who we really are and why we're here. Like, we, the, There's a intelligence to that design that grief comes in waves, just as in labor, contractions come in waves. I don't know. I, I, I'm just really connecting the similarities between birth and death in this past week. So I talked to Leia about that, like, hey, we don't have to be sad all the time. Like when we're happy, we're just happy, right? When we're laughing, we just laugh. Sometimes we're going to forget. That's totally okay. That's totally normal. And then all of a sudden we're sad and then we're sad. And then all of a sudden we're happy and then we're happy, you know, like to just flow with our emotions as they come, whatever emotion happens to be there, that everything is okay. There's no wrong way to to grieve. There's no wrong way to do it. And um, we went for a walk the morning and the last morning and Leia starts climbing a tree. She starts making up a game. She's laughing. Having a child present also just brings the energy up. If it was just me and Dennis alone, I think we would have had a very we would have had a very different experience also. Like she has a childlike joy. That's just when the joy is there, like you feel it. There was a lightness to the whole weekend thanks to her. And um, we gave her her last meal. We start setting up the space. So we have this kind of, this downstairs living room where I do, where I sit in ceremonies, It's where I practice yoga, where I drink my tea. And the dogs are not often there. We have a little doggy gate. That's going to be like a little kitty gate, I guess. Just because we have, it's just like, yeah, I prefer it very clean and very quiet in there. It's a very quiet room. So it's not a place where the dogs naturally go. They don't have beds in there. They don't have, yeah, it's not a dog area, right? And uh, we decided to set it up there so that she could have some space from the other dogs. When Kila, or other older dog, when she approaches her, she often gets a little bit on edge. I think because of the pain she was in and she would growl a little bit and she just, you could tell she wanted her space and we didn't want her to feel any kind of stress in the end and to have that space there. So Leia lit all the candles that we had in the whole house and brought all the flowers that we had in the whole house and crystals. And she has a little It's like a little egg you can open that she thinks is the most beautiful thing. It's like a metal silver. Yeah, it looks like an egg. I don't even know. It's like decorative thing. She loves it. She she wants to bring it to anything that she thinks is really beautiful. She can open it and she has little crystals inside and she brought that. And then she chose towels to put down in Leica's bed that we put in the middle of the room. And she was just like taking the lead setting up the ceremony really that's what she was doing and she had bought a bouquet of tulips the same day like the day before like a slipped actually so Wednesday night we were in Stockholm and then we passed by one of those little flower stands and she really wanted to buy flowers and she picked out this bouquet of tulips and um, they were the same so strange that those were the flowers we had at home for this day. So she picked all the petals off and she decided she wanted to sprinkle them on Leica afterwards. And and then she brought like a water and sausages, probably because of the book. She really wanted to give her sausages in the end. And um, the whole time we had this soft music playing and Dennis is doing the thing that Dennis does, like he grieves in his way he becomes very, like I can tell in the very end that it's getting very heavy and hard for him because he all of a sudden starts to clean. And that's not a dentist thing. <laughs> like, yeah, we're waiting for the vet to get there. He's on edge, he's stressed. And then he's just like emptying the dishwasher and wiping down the counters and cleaning. And it's just his way of staying busy, you know, of, 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 of really getting to the point where the vet arrives. And mine and Leia's way is a little different, you know. For me, it was really the, yeah, setting up the sacred space for her so it's beautiful and light and clean and, yeah. And then the vet shows up and here in this house, there is not a moment where anyone walks through the door and the dogs don't bark, especially Leica. Leica is the instigator of all barking. She's the protector of the house, of the pack. The vet shows up. Not a single bark. No one barks. It, it was really bizarre, truly bizarre. Not a single bark. They're just completely quiet. All dogs approach him at the door, just licking his hands, like saying hi. Not a sound. And then Keela and Ringo went back to their beds and Leica stayed with him. And then he, I, I just like pointed where we were going to be. He walks out to the room. She follows the vet. And this is the vet. She's been to the vet a million times. She hates the vet. I mean, not him as a person. He's a great person. But you know, like how dogs generally don't love to go to the vet. She follows him into the room, goes straight to lie down in the space that we had set up, which is not a natural place for her to be. It's not a natural place for her to go. She normally wouldn't lie down anywhere if me and Dennis aren't like hanging out in that space. And Dennis said afterward, he was like, it was like she took his hand And led him over to the place and then laid down and said, thank you, please. Like, like she really asked for it. Like she fully understood that this is my time. This is how it's happening. I'm ready. And she laid down and she's not. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a struggle. I thought. Oh, what if she's going to feel weird Is this person in the house that she only has bad experiences with when she gets her shots and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was nervous. Like, what if, what if she resists? What if she understands what's happening, but she shows us she doesn't want it. And that's kind of a little bit how it was when my brother's dog died in the summer. And I think because also my, my brother, it was so not okay. It was so hard. There was, it was so, there was so much resistance to the death that probably, I think his dog felt it. I think his dog was worried to go when maybe my brother wasn't okay. And now the energy we had in the house was like, we're, we're okay, like we're, we're okay. We're all grounded, we're all here, we're sad, we were all crying, we're all heartbroken, we're grieving, but we're okay, right? Like it was like, we have all integrated and processed the fact that this is her time. And she just like brought the vet into the room herself and just lay down and just kind of looked at him. It was, it was remarkable. It really was. It really was. Like she was saying, please, yeah, like I'm ready. And um, we all just gather around her. Leia's feeding her sausage and, and then the vet, he takes out all his things and Leia had a lot of questions. Which one is the one that makes her heart stop? because there was three shots. One shot was to calm, and then the second one for her to sleep, and then the third one is the one that makes her heart stop. And then he explained that even after she gets the third shot, sometimes a little later, like the body will do something that looks like an exhale, and he says, so don't get scared. Um, if her body does that, it's not that she's still breathing or that she woke up again or anything like that. It's just that's what the body does. It releases air in the end. And and then Leia was, she was just very quiet, very present, very, you know, speaking gently and came to sit on my lap and then Dennis next to me. And, and um, right as he was about to give the first one, she went and she got Bear. Um, Bear is her... Bear is her one, she has one stuffed animal that she cares about, and it's Bear, and Bear goes everywhere, and he's a little teddy bear, a great little teddy bear, bear, and she brought Bear, and she just wanted to hold Bear, so first she was just holding him, and then, you know, we're all bawling, like we're all really crying, but not, hmm like a a calm cry, right? A calm cry. Not the kind of hyperventilating. It's hard to breathe. This is scary. This is horrible. I don't want it. Oh my God. Not that kind of cry. It was just, we're all crying because we're really sad and we're really going to miss her and we love her so much. But the whole time, like the whole way through, there was not a moment that wasn't steady. And it was also like, when I was processing later, I was just thinking about Olivia birthing her baby, even in the peak moment of the most challenging moment of that birth, there was not There was not a bone in her body that was not trusting. There was not a thought in her mind that entered of, oh, is this okay? Are we going to be okay? Is it going well? No, there was no doubt. There was no there was no unsteadiness in her even in the peak of a fire no not not a single moment and this death was very similar that even in the hardest saddest moment there was no doubt there was no doubt there was no insecurity there was no wavering there was no feelings anymore of is this is this right or wrong it was so obvious like this was it and then he gave her the the shot to calm which I don't even know if she needed she was so calm she's not she's normally not a super calm dog she's very feisty and she falls asleep and she's snoring and Dennis he started crying when she started snoring and he was like you know how long it's been since I heard her snore because she hasn't had deep rest because she's been in pain she hasn't slept that deep dog sleep you know when they sleep super heavily and like you hear that little snore in the back of the throat she hasn't had that kind of rest you know for a long time and he started he cried he's like oh like it she was so peaceful like finally like she's resting now even even though she was heart still beating you know she's still alive but that little snore was just so beautiful to hear It was like very puppy like this little snore and then he gave the second shot. and He took a little time, and then asked if he were ready. And, and we were just petting her and kissing her. And and I, someone wrote me the other day or a few days ago that when a dog dies, it's not it's not goodbye. It's thank you. You don't say goodbye. You say thank you. And that one sentence really edged its way into me. And he said it in Swedish. He was like, inte mm-hmm. And it's such a simple sentence, but it's somehow, it really moved me. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not, you don't say goodbye, you say thank you. Because everything she gave, she gave us her whole life. Like our dogs give us their whole life And it's true in a way they are a part of our lives, but they're not our whole lives. Like we have kids and spouses and people and jobs and passions and things, right? But like we are, they give us their whole life. Like for them, we are, we are it. And she really gave us all of it. She gave us everything. And like she was the most protective spirit in the whole family. She took such good care of us. She always watched out for us. She was the one when Leia was born. She would lay next to the crib with her back against the crib, looking out at the room, just like very aware who is here, who's coming close. Like it's just she was just the she was just our protector. You know, she gave us everything. And she gave us so much joy and she gave us so so many headaches also in her in her lifetime like oh my god she's done some crazy shit (laughs) this dog she has escaped and she has run and she has started fights with neighborhood dogs and hunted down boas and snakes and lizards and brought to the house and dug herself into mud and jump on the couch and you know she's (laughs) she's it's not like uh quiet life with Leica you know she brought energy and fun and joy and <sighs> and so much like she brought so much to our family i uh, we were afterwards uh, talking just sharing stories which was also very different like when my dogs when my brother's dog died, there was no space afterwards for conversation at all. When Pepper died, I mean, I felt like I died. I, I, I genuinely went, I went down a deep, deep hole and, um, it was very traumatic how he died. It was not expected. It was not something we knew was happening. It really was out of the blue. And then he was just gone and it was horrible. And then this Death was like, we're sharing stories about her life afterwards and sitting there with the vet. And I was reminded of this thing. (laughs) It's one of my favorite stories. I had just started dating Dennis. He was living in this kind of bachelor pad with his best friend. And uh, I think we were together a few months and then his best friend moved out. (laughs) And it was just him and I in this apartment that he (laughs) had. And I wake up one morning. Very early, too early, like 4 30 or 5 or something in the morning, to the sound of someone doing the dishes. Like it sounds like some, someone's in the kitchen, someone's doing dishes. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a robberer, there's a thief, someone's in the house doing the fucking dish. Like, what is going on? I get super scared, freak out, and I open the door and I just kind of sneak out to see, like, who is in here? <laughs> And in the kitchen is Leica standing on the kitchen counter <laughs> in front of her on a plate. She has arranged a pigeon without its head. <laughs> There's a headless pigeon on a plate on the kitchen counter. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is insane. It was this fat, big pigeon pigeon completely preserved, every feather intact. Like it looked just perfect. Just no head. (laughs) And she put it on a plate on the kitchen counter for us. And I walk out of the bedroom and I'm like, Laika. And she jumps down from the counter and she just sits down and she's looking at me and she's beaming. You know, she's just wagging her tail. So proud. Like I made you breakfast. (laughs) I, I got you breakfast. Like, here you go. And, of course, like, I couldn't be mad. Like, how can you be mad at someone who got you breakfast? Like, it's not. And, of course, I'm grossed out. Like, there was a dead, huge bird on a plate in the kitchen. <laughs> you know? I had to wake Dennis up. And he was always like, Good girl. Like, a good girl. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're not going to eat this, but thank you so much. <laughs> like, Like, she did so many of those things. She was just remarkable, you know? Yeah. And then in the very, you know, in the very end, like after that, he gave her the two shots and then it was time for the last one. And we're just hugging her. And the, the words that came for me were just, thank you. Thank you. Like I just said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I remember when Pepper died, when I finally understood that this was it. I was repeating like a mantra like with my breath just I love you I love you I love you I love you I love you. I couldn't stop saying it. I was just like bawling into his fur just like I love you I love you I love you. And with like it was just thank you. Thank you thank you thank you. And then she was gone. Except not really gone, right? And <laughs> and in the in the kind of peak of it (laughs) this is really remarkable in the peak of it um, we had like a this big thing of tissues and like a little mountain of tissue paper was kind of balling up like next to us just as we're blowing our noses and wiping tears and and then all of a sudden I see Leia she's taking tissues and she's kind of like she starts patting her face instead of just wiping tears she's like patting her face it was just a little strange what she was doing. And then she put it right in front of her, almost on top of Leica. And I'm like, oh, I don't want Leica to have like snotty tissue paper on her face as she's dying, you know? So I, I, I try to grab it to put it on the pile of of, of of tissues. And Leia's like, No, 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 no. I'm 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 saving that one. And I'm like, okay. And I didn't ask anymore because it was really in the peak of, of everything. It's just like, okay, that was, I just noticed like, that's a little weird. She's saying, what does that mean? And then it happened. And then he checks her heart and, and her eyes. And then Leah also wanted to check her eyes and ask what he's doing. And then, and she's really crying. I mean, we're all really, really, really crying and, um, kind of gather ourselves a little bit. The vet gave us some space. He let us be alone. And then Dennis goes out and they he starts talking to the vet and it's just me and Leah there. And I was like, oh, um, honey, what are, you, what are you doing with this tissue? And I see she has two tissues and she used them to wipe my face and she was just very gently wiping her face. And she says, I'm saving my tears. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she says, I'm, I'm saving my tears so that I'll, Always remember how sad I was when Leica died. And then she takes these tissues and she folds them up and she puts them in her special. She has a little spell book that she got for Christmas that she loves. She takes everywhere. She puts them in her book. She wiped her tears, my tears, with tissue paper to save her tears so that she'll always remember how sad she was when Leica dies. And I, I don't know if there's a Pisces on this earth that's ever done something more Pisces than that, <laughs> but oh my God. I mean, it's, she's such a little weirdo. I love her so much. She's, it's so beautiful. Like I, I get, I, and I get that sentiment in her. Like this feeling is so big, like maybe it's the saddest she's ever felt. Like it's so big. And this moment was so big and this death. And it's like, she wants to save her tears so that she doesn't forget. Right? Like, I get, I get that. I get that. It's just such a Pisces thing to do. I, We were laughing <laughs> so much later on because <laughs> Dennis didn't understand. He's like, what was she doing with those tissues? Like, she was like saving. <laughs> I was like, yeah, she, she doesn't want to forget, you know, how this, she wants to keep her tears. She saved her tears. <laughs> yeah, and then she took her little tulip petals, and she sprinkled them on her, and then somehow, yeah, she she asked if she could take my phone, and she could take pictures, I, I said yes, and then she took some selfies of herself crying, which was also very Pisces to do, and, um, and then we start telling stories. Like I told that story about like and the bird and Dennis said like he used to he used to surf with her like she would come on the surfboard with him. We start showing the vet photos and just like and it became like a very beautiful moment, you know. And then suddenly Dennis is like would you like a cup of coffee? And he, the guy is like yes. Yes. And then like we had coffee and we talked about like and laughed you know, about, it was really light. Like there was a lightness there the whole time. That was really beautiful. Really, really, really beautiful. And of course, I forgot to say, but the dogs got to say goodbye, like Ringo and Keela. We brought them in one at a time to say goodbye. And Keela went straight up to her, which she doesn't really do. She doesn't often do. And like I gave her like a growl and I'm like, oh, that was like a very perfect goodbye. (laughs) It's like a last little growl. (laughs) She spent a lot of time like growling at her sister, telling her sister what she's allowed to do and not allowed to do and no begging at the table and you're not allowed to go there and you know, like she was very bossy with her always growling at her and then it really felt like a little goodbye growl, you know, and then Ringo refused to leave the room. we let him stay on the couch and he was just quietly like on the couch the whole time. And then the moment it had happened, like really immediate, he left the couch and he jumps into bed with her and he almost like walked on top of her. Like he was very, I don't know, invasive, like in the, in her space and also like a very un-Ringo thing to do at all. And then it just looked at me like his eyes open, like what? And it was like, immediately he knew like that, like the energy is different. Like she, like she's still lying here. Like you can still see her, but for him it was not. Yeah. And I don't know if he wanted to be closer to her or if to, to him, like her spirit's not here now. Right. Like he was, it was strange behavior from him just like to climb on top of her. And then he just, he wouldn't leave her bed. We had to get him out of the bed eventually to carry her out to the car, you know, to carry her body out to the car. And yeah, and the vet brought her and we're going to get her cremated. We wanted to bury her here on the land, but it's too, the, the ground is frozen solid. So we wouldn't be able to. So we decided to, to cremate and uh, Leia chose the urn. She chose a white urn because Laika was a white dog, and she says when Keila dies, she can have a black one, and they also make these little um, little pieces of jewelry with the ashes, and she asked if she could have a little heart, like necklace with Laika's ashes in it, which is very sweet. And then when he left, you know, I think thanks to Leia and her ability to just go with whatever the next moment becomes, yeah, we we had lunch and the sun is just shining, and we went outside, and then she's laughing about something. And then all of a sudden, it's like we're just holding hands and we're just we're just there together. Like there's so much love and so much light in this whole day in all the pain and in all the sadness. It really uh, i'm I'm really, truly grateful that she gave us so much, even in the end of her life, I feel like this experience of death was really healing in a lot of ways and um, we made little wishes for her afterwards Leah said if we whisper our wishes into this candle and then we can, we blow the candle out all those wishes will come true and it was just a lot of little moments that I will remember forever that were so precious and I, I wouldn't trade them you know it was <sighs> similar to the birth somehow also in that that feeling afterwards now that there's an emptiness there, there is a, there's, a, there's a chain, the whole house is different, the dynamic in the house, the energy in the house is very different. But I can also sense this feeling of just like there's a relief there, like there's no, it's almost like her pain, her physical pain in the past months has been its own entity. And I'm always mindful. Is she in pain? Did she get her meds? Is she okay? Is it worse? Is it better? Does she need something? You know, it's like I've been. We've been very mm, like tending to this pain, and now like there's no there's no pain here anymore, and there's there's space. There's more space to breathe. So I also feel this relief and this gratitude that she's not in pain anymore. <sighs> and yeah. I cannot believe that there was a birth and then immediately a death. And somehow they were very similar and of course not at all the same but that there's so much intertwining these this beginning and this end. And I really wonder like the it's it's easier to comprehend that when we bring a dog into our lives we're also from that moment on preparing for the last day but is it the same as human beings? Like when we are born, do we already know? Because, we, I mean, we know, right? But it's kind of that thing that we know in our minds, like at the end of our lives we'll die, but we're not walking around embodied, you know, with, with the concept of death every day. No, no, I don't think, I think life would be a different different thing to navigate if that was the case. But knowing that there is a reverence in both of these stages of life, sacredness, something really beautiful in that transition, and what happens at the, after that transition? Like I don't, I don't know. And Leia has she, we never, I never used these words with her, so I don't know where she got it. But she keeps saying, "On the other side, like like us on the other side," and I I love that. I love that idea that she's on the other side of something. I don't know what or what it's like there. And I like to imagine that she's with Hammer and Pepper now and they are just roaming free through the forests and the beaches and just living it up, you know, hunting for birds and and iguanas and their little pack together. And that one day at the end of our lives, when we get to the other side, like there's every dog we ever loved and lost. Like that, there's a beauty in that. There's something really beautiful about that. I, I really hope that that's true. Thank you for hmm, just being present with me. I feel really held in this, in this time and... There are so many of us out there who love our animals so, so much. And it's just a very special community of people who get it, who know what it's like to move through this. And there's so much love and understanding here. And I really feel held by you all. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.